morning, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to go get one, if you have one in your home, because we're going to look at Psalm 73 this morning. We, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and we want to invite you to begin to study it with us or to continue if you're a part of our Riverstone family. Some of you are new and joining us, and we welcome you and want you to just start where you are. If you're just exploring Christianity or just trying to maybe look at some other things, maybe you have a religious background, but you want to, you have some, some nagging questions. You know, there are some questions in life that everybody's asking, like where did we come from and why are we here and where are we going? But whenever someone proposes religion, particularly Christianity, there are also a number of questions that people ask. Questions like, how do you know the Bible is the only way and Christianity is the only way? Or if Christianity is real, then why did we have the Crusades and why did Christians suffer? Or why would God let people suffer? Or one that we want to explore this morning is, why do bad things happen to good people? I've often heard that one, but have you ever wondered this one? Why do good things often happen to bad people? This morning, we're going to look at a psalm that answers that very question. And I love it because it's actually the story of a man by the name of Asaph. And Asaph went through a, a lengthy experience in which he really lost his way in his relationship with God. It's kind of funny, just today I was talking to a gentleman that I had met, and we were talking about faith and religion, and he mentioned that he really doesn't go to church. And I asked him if he had had a bad experience. And he said, you know, it's just, it's just too painful and too personal. So maybe for you, you've had some painful or personal thing that's caused you to kind of wander, but now you're, you're, you're interested in finding your way to God. And so there's no better way to do that than exploring the Bible and saying, God, if this is the truth, I pray that you'll speak to me. Well, basically what happened to Asaph was this, something that's happened to other people is Asaph was a follower of God. He believed God's word was the Bible and he tried to do what was right. In fact, sometimes we call that trying to keep your heart pure. And what Asaph found was that as he tried to live a life of pleasing God and keeping his heart pure, not doing what's wrong, doing it God's way, that life didn't really pan out the way he expected. He really had a lot of problems. But yet, he noticed that his neighbors and some of the people that, that, that he interacted with, they could care less about God, and their lives seemed to be going really well. And this really bothered him. In fact, it bothered him so much that he almost gave up. He actually almost came to the point of saying, you know what, it doesn't pay to follow God. I've tried it and it doesn't work. But God in his mercy had an encounter with Asaph that caused him to completely change his mind. And as a result of that, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he recorded his experience in this psalm. And that's one of the blessings of the Bible. The Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. Holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things. And so if you're looking for life's answers, maybe you've been trying self-help and all kinds of new age theories and philosophies, I want to suggest that you turn to this book, God's Word, the Bible, and give this a try because I think you're going to find that the true answers to life are found right here in the Bible. So this morning we're going to find out that Asaph was upset with God for two reasons. The first reason he was upset with God is because those who are far from God 
were living on easy street. That really bothered him. And then secondly, those who were following God were having rough roads. It didn't make sense. Far from God on easy street, following God in rough roads. Just couldn't wrap his mind around it. So let's look in verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bible, take it out and follow along. And what I want you to see in the first three verses is that Asaph's going to give kind of an overview summary of the whole story. And then he's going to unpack it. So let's, let's look at how he overviews his summary in verses 1 through 3. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, I want you to start in verse 1 when he says, Surely God is good. I want you to note something here, that when he wrote this, now he believed it. But there was a time where he wasn't sure about it. He wasn't sure that God really was good to those who are pure in heart. In fact, that's what he means by my feet came close to stumbling. He began to question, is God really good to those who follow him? You'll notice he says God is good to Israel. Now, the Bible says the Lord is good to all men, but here when it says Israel, what, what Asaph's really talking about is the people of God. For a time, he wasn't so sure that God was good to the people of God. But I think here it would be safe to substitute Israel for the people of God. Surely God is good to those who follow him. Well, what does a follower of God look like? Notice how he describes them. To those who are pure in heart. Now, I want you to understand something that's very, very commonly misunderstood. There is no one who is, by nature, pure in heart. Impossible. No matter how nice they are, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you try, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Jesus said in Matthew 7, out of the heart comes murders, thefts, immorality. It's as though the Bible teaches that the heart is a cesspool of sin. Now, we could look good on the outside. So how in the world... Could Asaph say God is good to those who are pure in heart? Well, it's important to understand this, that in order to become pure in heart, that's not something that comes from gumption. That comes from God's grace. The message of the Bible is this, that we are fallen and that our hearts are broken and sinful. But God offers not only forgiveness of sin, but in the message of Jesus Christ, he offers to give us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 37 says it this way, I will take away your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I'll put my spirit in you and then I'll cause you to walk in my commandments. And so what Asaph was saying is he had experienced God's grace in his life. But once you become saved by God's grace and he gives you a new heart, then we are to try to keep our hearts pure. We are to try to turn away from sin, not because we're earning God's favor, but because we love him and we want to please him. In fact, Jesus said it this way, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So God purifies our heart by his grace. And this morning as you're listening, he'll purify your heart if you come to him in repentance and believe that Christ 
died and rose again. But I want you to notice that his conclusion that God is good to those who are pure in heart was not something that he was so sure of. Go down to verse 13. There was a time in his life, he said, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. So again, this is kind of his summary. He says, I almost stumbled. And what it means to stumble is to fall away from God. You know, there are a lot of people who start out following God and they don't finish. The Bible calls that stumbling. Jesus talked about this. In fact, even one of Jesus' most prominent followers, John the Baptist, almost stumbled. When John was thrown in prison, he began to question whether Jesus really was the Lamb of God. And Jesus said, go and tell John, blessed are those who don't stumble over me. There are a lot of reasons why people stop following God. A lot of what they would say good sound excuses, but they're really just excuses that they think sound good. Don't fall away from God. Where else are you going to go? So what we're going to find is that what bothered Asaph so deeply is that those who are far from God seem to be on easy street. Look at verse 3. He says, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the, now here's the first term, the prosperity of the wicked. You know, you look around and you hear about these CEOs that just take advantage of people. You hear about greedy slumlords. You, 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 you see sometimes evil people in the entertainment world and you see they have so much money. In addition, he says, there are no pains in their death. In other words, they're very healthy and many of them live long, peaceful lives and they die just a very sweet, just in their sleep. And then he says, their body is fat. Now, of course, in our culture, that would be considered something that we don't want. But in that culture, to have some extra meat on you was a sign of prosperity. It was a sign that you were doing well. He says, it bothered me, verse 5, they're not in trouble like other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. In other words, why do they seem to get a free pass when it comes to problems? Their kids get straight A's. They don't have depression. They don't have fights in their marriage. It just looks so good. It looks like the Brady Bunch. They don't have the, the, the struggles that others do. And it doesn't seem fair. And as a result of that, there's this mingling of prosperity and then the attitude that they exhibit. Notice some of the terms that describe the attitude of these people who don't follow God. He says, first of all, they're arrogant. He says, I was envious of their arrogance. Verse 6, he says, pride is their necklace. You know, sometimes people who are very prosperous, can be very mean. They can be very demeaning to others. In fact, they can be downright cruel and harmful. Look at verse 6. It says, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Now again, in our culture, that sounds like some sort of a pug dog with buggy eyes. But in that culture, this idea of fatness had to do with prosperity and ease and abundance. Notice the imaginations of their heart run riot. In other words, they almost just 
look for ways to, to do things wrong. And you know, people like this, and maybe you know someone like this, if you're trying to live for God, they love, they love to point out our faults. They love to mock Christianity. Look at verse 8. They mock and they wickedly speak of oppression. They speak, now notice, they speak from on high and they have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Now, now think about what this is saying. They, when, when it says here they have set their mouth against the heavens and they speak from on high, it's as though they've elevated themselves above others, as though they're almost God, as though they decide who gets what and how much better they are. They look down their noses at others. And then we come to a difficult verse. Verse 10 says this, Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. Now, that's a very difficult verse. And interpreters see this in one of two ways. First of all, when it says his people, literally it just says his. And so interpreters have determined that this is either talking about unbelievers. And so when it says, therefore his people return to this place, it's talking about unbelievers who go with these godless people who are drawn with these godless people because of some benefit that they can gain from them. And that makes sense. I mean, the book of Proverbs says, a rich man has many friends. In fact, if you follow professional athletes, you'll notice that some of them came from really rough backgrounds, but when they became famous, some of those old friends from the hood sort of creep back into their lives. Why? Because notice it says, waters of abundance are drunk by them. But you know, that's one way to look at it, but it is possible that there's a very different meaning here. The other way that interpreters have viewed this is that it's talking about how God's people sometimes turn aside and make acquaintance with unbelievers in unhealthy ways. And as a result of that, the waters of abundance that they drink are not abundance of blessing, but abundance of sorrow and tears. And you know, that's true. The book of Proverbs says, he that walks with a wise man will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer shame. And so it's possible that, that Asaph is saying here, God's people sometimes are drawn towards these prosperous people. And I want to warn you, the Bible says to Christians, come out from among them and be separate. If your friends are unbelievers and they're causing you and your actions and your attitudes and your beliefs and in your behavior to draw away from God, then cut them loose. Come out from among them and be separate. Don't stand up on a chair and think you're going to pull them up. If they're dragging you down, you need to separate from them, but always with a prayer and desire to bring them to Christ. But you'll notice that they come to the point where they're, they're so deluded about themselves. I mean, as I sum this up, I noted they're deluded, they demean others, they defy God, they distort the truth, and they even disrespect God's character. 
Look at verse 11. They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? I remember on more than one occasion, I've had unbelievers say to me, come on, Tom, why don't you come over and join us on the dark side? You see, that's just a blatant mockery of God. That's a disbelief that there are any consequences to doing anything wrong. And so notice verse 12 where Asaph sums this up where these people that are far from God are on easy street. He said, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. And so he stops and he pauses. He's bothered, first of all, that they're on easy street. But then he's going to remind us that the second thing that bothered him is that as a follower of God, he had a rough road. It wasn't just looking at how prosperous they were. It was looking at how painful his life was. Look at verse 13. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. I washed my hands in innocence. In other words, I had a chance to cheat on my wife, but I didn't do it. I could have lied on my taxes, but I didn't do it. I could have got that contract if I wanted to. I could have, I could have gone out with the guys when I was on that business trip. I could have cheated. Yeah, there's a lot of things I could have done. I didn't have to give money to God. I didn't need to spend time in prayer. After all, as I tried to do that, what did it get me? And so Asaph was troubled. He said, you know what it got me? It got me problems. Verse 14. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. No wonder he was disillusioned. He hears about God. He believes in the God of the Bible. And he learns that God wants us to trust him and follow him. And so he gets on the path, what Jesus calls the narrow path. And all of a sudden, he's pelted with metaphorical rocks. I once led a guy to Christ, and he said to me, Tom, he said, since I've come to Christ, he said, my life hasn't gotten easier, it's gotten harder. And you see, when you think about that, the question is, what do you mean by easier or harder? The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, and it is a reality that as Christians, we aren't promised an easy life. And I want to warn you to be careful. There's an awful lot of preachers on television that are, that are telling you, hey, you know what? If you follow God, you will have nothing but health and wealth and happiness. And usually it's followed by something like this. And send me your check right now. But that's not how life works. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And that was the trap that Asaph had fallen into. And so in summary... He's upset with God because those who are far on easy street and following Christ gave him nothing but a rough road. But what did he do about it? Well, we saw two things that bothered him, but now we're going to see three things to do when you feel this way. Three things to do when you feel like life isn't fair. And, and I love how candid he is. The first thing that he does is he remembers the end of the story he began to realize that looking around at his circumstances and those around him was very myopic. It was very narrow in scope. He forgot that there's another life, that there's eternity. And so I love how he describes his experience. He says in verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, 
behold, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. What does he mean by that? In other words, he had come to the point of being so disillusioned with God that he was ready to go public. He was pretty close to calling a press conference. He was pretty close to gathering his family, his friends, and all the kids that he had taught and trained to follow God and saying, you know what? I was wrong. I'm not even sure there is a God, and it certainly doesn't pay to follow him. So go out there, eat, drink, and be merry, and have a good time. And the more he thought about that, he said, wow, I would have betrayed a whole generation. And that's something to think about. Those of you who are questioning whether God is real, you need to be really careful about what you say to others, especially children. That's a bad idea to ever cause a child to lose faith in God. Jesus warned about this. He said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you for a big rock to be tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. So thank God, before Asaph went public and declared his, his wrong thinking, he had a change of mind. Look in verse 16. He said, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. It was troublesome in my sight until I came to the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Remember what I said? Remember the end of the story. You know, it's kind of funny. Some of you let things kind of nag at you. They bother you. You lay in bed and you think about them. You ponder them when you're out for your walk. And they kind of wear you down. But you know, it's kind of cool that the place where he worked this through was in church. He said, I came to the sanctuary of God. You know, people have all kinds of excuses why they don't have time for church. What in the world is wrong with this world? Oh, church is full of hypocrites. Well, if the only thing between you and God is a hypocrite, then he's closer to God. Now go around him and let's pray that there will be a revival. You know, I often hear people say, I can't wait to get back to normal. I don't want that. I don't want it to get back to normal because in American culture, normal Christianity is a joke. I wanted to get back to New Testament normal where people are on fire for God and living for Jesus. So he says, you know, I sat down and I thought about it and I perceived their end. I forgot. Yeah, they might be getting away with it now. They might be living large now. But look at verse 18. He said, Lord, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. This is vivid. Folks, there are a whole lot of people who are like, oh, my God is just a, a loving God. He just, he would never hurt an insect. That is not the God of the Bible. And frankly, you don't want a God like that. You want a God who is just. You don't want a God who lets evil go on and terrible things be done to you with no consequences. We want a world with justice. And God is a very loving God. But he's a just God. And one day God is going to punish sinners who refuse to follow him. And there are many, many graphic descriptions of this in the Bible. The Bible describes it as a place away from the presence of the Lord. 
The Bible describes it as a place where the smoke of men's torment ascends up day and night. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus spoke of an unquenchable fire. But God doesn't want people to end up that way. If you end up in hell, it's not because God wanted you there. God is not willing for any to perish. But it's time to stop and think of the end of the story. For some of you, if you don't turn to God, this is what's going to happen to you. Look what it says. Verse 19, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you are aroused, you will despise their form. Don't ever confuse God's patience for his absence. You look around and you say, man, people are getting away with murder from the politicians to the police. Everywhere I look, it seems like there's some people that are getting away with murder. All politicians aren't bad. All policemen aren't bad. All people are bad. And yet, the Bible says, God is not slow about his promise of punishment, but he's patient. But never forget this, that those who reject God are going to be punished, and those who choose Christ will be in paradise. Mark that down. You reject God, you're going to be punished. You choose Christ, you're going to be in paradise. You make the choice. Jesus said it this way, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. So go ahead, keep ignoring God. Keep accumulating your stuff. But mark this down, it'll cost you your own soul. So the first thing that we learned to do when, when he felt this way is Asaph said, I remember the end of the story. I forgot their end. But the second thing he did, and this is something we all have to do from time to time. You ready for this? He had to repent from his stinking thinking. You know, sometimes we just have to own and say, I was a dope. I was a fool. I was wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying that. In fact, that's very helpful. The Bible says God is near to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. I love the metaphor that Asaph uses to describe this stinking thinking. Look with me in verse 21. He said, when I was embittered, when, when I was wrestling with this, and I was pierced within, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I mean, how could you say it better? He's like, I was dumber than a donkey. I was a dope. I was a moron. What was I thinking? Remember that old classic rock and roll song? Everybody plays the fool sometimes and that's true and sometimes we need to just recognize that we've lost our way and that repentance in the bible is a normal experience if you've never read the book of revelation in chapters one through three you'll find the lord jesus very tenderly examining each of the seven churches of asia minor and each of them he found some things that he commended them for hard work careful doctrine but other things, he said, listen, you've lost your first love. You need to repent. Your works aren't complete. You need to repent. 
you're lukewarm and it makes me want to vomit. You need to repent. And so this morning, let's thank God for his word. The word of God is, is actually profitable, the Bible says, not only to reprove us, but to correct us, to train us, to show us how to change our ways. And so if you're upset with God, then repent from your stinking thinking. But there's one last thing he did. He remembered the end of the story. He repented from his stinking thinking. But the third thing he did, and this is the one that we all need to do, is he resolved to live for God, who is so good to us. Asaph made a new resolve that God is good, and he was going to live for God, who is so good to us. You know, when we think about God's grace towards us, when we're so dumb, I don't think I could ever be as patient with myself as God is. And so look how Asaph, as he thought about God in this experience, he said, I was a beast. Nevertheless, God, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand, and with your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward, receive me to glory. That's cool. I mean, that, that's Asaph's way of saying, God, in spite of what a knucklehead I was, you are so good to me. He says, God, you take hold of my right hand. And for the Christian, you know what that is? That's your conversion. The Bible says that Jesus lays hold of us. The Bible calls it his calling. And if you're a Christian, one day in time, God drew you to himself. You might not even remember what day it was. You don't have to see the sunrise to know the sun's out, but you know that God has got you in his grip. He began a good work in you. For some of you, God's calling you today. He's reaching out and he's saying, take my hand and trust me and I will forgive you and change your heart. But not only does God call us with his goodness, look what he says. He says, you counsel me and guide me. So he calls us, and then throughout this life, he teaches us and sanctifies us. He gives us insight, and he uses the Bible and others to direct our paths. He doesn't just say, now you're forgiven, figure it out. He's intimately involved in our lives, and I'm so thankful for that. But then it says, afterward, you're going to receive me to glory. You know what? This is Romans 8, folks. This is Paul, Romans 8. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. You know, that's, God is good. He's incredibly good to us. Asaph says, yeah, they might be getting blessed right now, but I forgot the end of the story. God's going to sweep them away, but not me. He said, at the end of my life, he's going to receive me into glory. And I want you to fix your eyes on that blessed day. Peter said it this way. He said, if you live a diligent life, he said, an abundant entrance will be opened for you into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Follow Jesus. And then one day, wait for him to come in the clouds and say, welcome, well done, my good and faithful servant. So he resolved to live for God because God is good to us. Now, notice, notice his, his decision. He said in verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. You see, Asaph determined that he was going to do two things. Number one, he was going to daily draw near and delight in Jesus. He was going to daily draw near and delight in Jesus. This is not an easy thing to say. 
who do I have in heaven but you? But beside you, I desire nothing on earth. You know what? My heart is gone, but I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. The Bible calls them idols. But as I daily draw near to Jesus, and I set my affection on things above, and I think about what he's done for me, how he shed his blood on the cross, I sing with the songwriter, cast down every idol, cast out every foe. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want you forever to live in my soul. So let's, like Asaph, draw near and daily delight in Jesus. By God's grace, let's remind ourselves, Jesus is enough. That guy might have more stuff. I might not be doing real well right now, but Jesus is enough. Jesus is all I need. Everything beyond Jesus is just an added blessing. So he decided he would daily draw near to Jesus and delight in him. But he also decided he would depend on Jesus and declare him to others. Look at verse 26. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. He's my portion forever. Behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, and this is for you, as for me, he said, the nearness of God is my good. That's a decision. He said, I have made the Lord God my refuge. And you can do that. You can determine that you will follow Jesus. My spouse might not. My kids may not. I might get made fun of. But I am determined that God is going to be at the center of my life and that I'm going to depend on him. And you'll notice that Asaph didn't want to keep it to himself. He almost betrayed God with his lips. But instead, he said, I'm going to make God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. You see, as a Christian, we can depend on Jesus and then we can declare him to others. And I've had wonderful opportunities recently. In fact, I have one right now to declare Jesus to you. And to invite you to the best you know how, come to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. It might not be easy, and it might be a rough road, but I know that you'll forgive me, and you'll become my Lord and Savior, and you'll bring me to glory. So as we close, I want to just mention a couple things. If you're upset with God this morning, number one, when we get upset with God, we have a contentment problem. The Bible says, Jesus will never leave you, so be content. When we're upset with God, we have a comparing problem. The Bible says when you compare yourself with others, you're not wise. Well, why is this? And why is that? And why is the Coronas? And why did he not lose his job? When we get upset with God, we've got a complaining problem. The Bible says as Christians, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And ultimately, when we're upset with God, we've got a conceptual problem. You need to take out your scripture lenses and you need to put them on. And, and look long term. And remember, God's goal for your life is not your happiness. It's your holiness. God's desire is to make us like Jesus. And sometimes he disciplines us, but his grace is sufficient. And then when it comes to other people, worry about what they're doing. You're not responsible for how they act. God will take care of them. You know, as I thought of this long term perspective, I'm reminded of an elderly man I was witnessing to him. He was dying of lung cancer, and he had a tube, an oxygen, two tubes that came into a single tube coming out of his nose that ran all the way across the living room into another room where there was an oxygen tank. And as I talked to him about Christ, he would say, ah, why would God do this to me, and why is he going to make me leave my wife behind? And I said to him, you know something? I said, you're focusing on those two inches of tube that are coming out of your nose. And you're forgetting 
that there's dozens and dozens of feet of tube out there. I said, this life is like a heartbeat, and then there's eternity. Are you fixing all of your hopes and ambitions in this life or the life to come? Can I encourage you, if you give your life to Jesus, remember that old song they sing at weddings, God bless the broken road that brought me back to you? Well, I want to suggest that the better way is God will bless that broken road that will bring you to Jesus.